<laughs> so welcome to the first TLS of 2018. Uh, we've got the snow again, would you believe it, but uh, not so difficult to navigate through this time. Um, nice to see you. A couple of people said they couldn't make it uh, for various reasons, but it's good to see those of you that can. Um, this is actually the first session of three linked ones, really. Uh, so we're looking at the gospel this morning, but we're going to be uh, we're going to be looking at the um, the atonement next time, and then after that about justification and righteousness, and really they all kind of flow into one another. So I've had to try and put some delineation markers on where <laughs> what I'm going to cover in each one. But really, there's as I say, there's, there's three sessions that are really going to explore what it is that Jesus has done for us, um, starting with the gospel it's bigger than you think so as I say welcome to those who are here we're gonna have uh, lemon scones this time so after making a fuss about it last time I thought I, it was only fair to ask Samantha to make those again um, if you're joining by the podcast you're very welcome um, so I'm starting with a quote from a, a writer a Christian writer called Howard Snyder and uh, he says this is right at the top of your notes it says here is a gospel of total healing the healing of creation <coughs> the restoration of all things truly the whole gospel for the whole world salvation through jesus christ by the spirit is thus the story of how god is redeeming and transforming his creation now i don't know if you think back to the first gospel message you heard um, but for many of us, it, it may well have been something like, um, you're a sinner, God needs to deal with your sins so that you can have fellowship with him and go to heaven when you die. Um, but if you think about that compared to the quote we just read, there's a bit of a difference in scope. You know, it's a massive um, vi a vision of the gospel there. Um, now, the, the, the bit about, you know, you needing forgiveness and, and fellowship with God and going to heaven, all that, that's got truth in it, but it's so limited um, in, its, in its scope. It's, it's, it may contain the truth, but it's not the gospel that Jesus or Paul or the other New Testament apostles actually preached. And that's what we want to look at this time and really expand our understanding of uh, and our excitement about the gospel, the true gospel. So I don't want to minimise the um, the issue of sin because it does separate someone from <coughs> God. And the idea of enjoying fellowship with God in this life and, and in the future is good, you know. But it, And it's normally very central to presentations of the gospel message that we've heard. So very often you get things like the Roman road. I don't know if anyone's come across that, you know, the idea of the Roman road where you get four scriptures from the book of Romans and it's a way sometimes we've been taught to present the gospel so you've got Romans 3.23 all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God um, then you turn the person to Romans 6.23 the wages of sin is death but the gift of God you know is uh, life and so on and then you turn to Romans 6 uh, sorry Romans 5 verse 8 um, whilst we were still sinners Christ died for us and then finally Romans 10, 9 to 10, if we, if we confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, then we'll be saved. And so people use this Roman road as a way of presenting the gospel. However, 
um, it's not the gospel that the New Testament presents. Now I'm not saying it's wrong, it isn't wrong, it's just not what the gospel writers were trying to say. It may be contained within it in a, to a degree, but um, when the New Testament speaks about the good news, only once does it talk about the gospel of salvation. It's in Ephesians chapter 1, it talks about the gospel of your salvation. But by my count, seven times it talks about the gospel of the kingdom, or the good news of the kingdom, because gospel, as I say in the, the footnote here, it comes from the old English word Godspell, meaning good news or good story translates the, the Greek evangelion, from which we get evangelism and evangelist and so on. But when it talks about the gospel, it often talks about the gospel of the kingdom. So Matthew 9.35, you know, Jesus went around proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing everyone that was around. Um, so the kingdom or the kingship of God is much more a feature of the gospel than personal salvation. Um, a famous Christian philosopher and writer called Dallas Willard said that you know, our gospel is about sin management um, and that's sort of the, the long and short of it often when we, the way we talk about it and present it to the extent that we, we sort of wonder whether is the gospel really contained in the four gospels you know Matthew, Mark, Luke and John the first books of the New Testament, people search through and think, is the gospel actually in there? You know, so why are they called gospels then, you know, is the question we might ask. Um, another quote here from a, a guy called Scott McKnight. Um, I've got a book list actually in, in part two, at the end of the notes in part two, I've got a bit of a book list of, uh, of things that, that go into this more. And one of them is, is Scott McKnight. And he says, much evangelism today fastens on Jesus as personal saviour and dodges Jesus as Messiah and Lord. Um, so this is what we're going to be, be looking at today. So what does it really mean? You know, if we want to look at what gospel means and what does forgiveness of sin mean, we, <coughs> if we think back to the, the session we did a couple of months ago on hermeneutics, what we need to do is look at what the early Christians and the original Bible writers and, and the people that they were writing to, how did they understand these things? So of course they do talk about sin and they do talk about forgiveness, <coughs> but the key thing they were absolutely clear on was that it was all according to the scriptures. Now I don't know if you've ever, you've, you've read the Old Testament and you've got this sweeping grand narrative, this story about Israel and all the things that happened to them and all the kings and the fact that they went into exile and then they came back and they rebuilt the walls and then you've got all their prophetic writings from all the same <coughs> time and the predictions of the future and you've got this huge long story. And then you flip over into the New Testament um, and you start maybe reading about the birth of Jesus and so on and it talks about forgiveness of sins and things like that often we look at that and we, we slip into Christmas nativity mode and and you know we're remembering some of that kind of stuff and you almost with our Western viewpoint and our, our 21st century mindset we tend to start thinking about well maybe God has kind of decided that this Israel project didn't really work 
So he's come up with a better plan, which is personal forgiveness and personal salvation through Jesus, and kind of will will kind of draw a bit, you draw a discreet veil over the last several thousand years, and we'll decide that actually there's a better way, um, and it's it's Jesus, and that kind of is in a lot of people's minds. However, if we read what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. Bearing in mind that to them the scriptures were the Old Testament. He says, now brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you. And so you think, fantastic, he's going to tell us the gospel. He's going to show us how to, pronounce, how to proclaim the gospel. Uh, in verse 3 he says, for what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. And so it's, he keeps repeating this, you know, it's, it's according to the scriptures. So what does he mean? Um, interestingly, when you do turn into the New Testament and you read Matthew's Gospel, the first thing you come to is a list of names, isn't it? It's a genealogy. And it's saying, you know, from Abraham down to David, and then from David down to the exile, and from the exile down to the birth of, of Jesus. And Matthew makes this thing of, um, there are 14 generations in each of those three blocks. Um, he may have sort of slightly manipulated things and compressed things a little bit, and, but we don't know because genealogists used to do that a bit. But what he's doing is he's saying there are, there's 14 generations from Abraham to to David, 14 from David to the exile, and 14 from the exile to Christ. Now what's the significance of 14? Now we know that in the Hebrew mind they liked to play around with numbers, and but they didn't have number, you know, digits for numbers, they had letters, and the letters each had a numerical value. And if you take the name David, it's actually in Hebrew there's no vowels, so it's D-V-D, or the equivalent thereof. And if you add up the, the numbers of those letters, it comes to 14. So what Matthew is saying is the whole history of Israel, from Abraham onwards all the way to the present, is David-shaped. The whole history of this nation is all leading up to the king, the return of the king, this Davidic king. The story of Israel is kingdom-shaped. So... In short, what they believed, it, it wasn't, when it says according to the scriptures, it's not just there were isolated little prophecies about Jesus sort of tucked away in this otherwise strange history, but it's that their whole story, their whole history as a nation is being fulfilled and is culminating in the life of Jesus and what Jesus accomplished. So when he died and when he rose again, it was a continuation and a fulfilment of their entire history. And to understand that, we need to look a little bit at what their history was. And now, of course, originally, Israel was called to be a light to the Gentiles. It says that in the, in the Old Testament. They were meant to transmit the blessing of Abraham, you know, starting from the, the, the the beginning there, Abraham said, you know, the whole world would be blessed through you. And they were the means, they were the vehicle by which that was meant to happen. Um, they were meant to represent God to the world. They were God's chosen instrument to reveal himself 
and actually bring salvation to the ends of the earth. But they actually failed, they fell into idolatry, being human beings, um, and then eventually they were banished from their, their land. And it's a quite ironic really because their own history mirrors the history of humanity as a whole being banished from the Garden of Eden. Um, which must have been a source of great hurt to them because they were meant to be the means by which God restored humanity to Eden and yet they've gone the same way. They were meant to be the catalyst that brought humanity back there. Now after 70 years in exile, it had been prophesied by Jeremiah, they came back or a remnant of them came back um, and that was a, a, an answer to prayer and it was a a fulfillment of prophecy but even after that the problem was there was a succession of pagan empires that still held sway so they had the Persians they had the Greeks and then they had the Romans and one empire just sort of replaced another so for hundreds of years they were still under occupation they were under domination from foreign powers so there was a real sense there was an ache in the nation and there was a real sense that the exile had never really finished. So although it had been prophesied, although it lasted 70 years and they'd come out again, there was a real sense that it had never really finished because they, were, they weren't free. They didn't have their own king. They were dominated by foreign rulers. And it was still ongoing. And they were very aware of that. Um, and they knew that it was a result of sin that they were sent into exile. So the fact that this ongoing situation was there, that they were this, this occupation and, and dominance from other powers, that represented to them in a painful and a stark way that this national sin had not been forgiven. And meanwhile the world wasn't being reached, they weren't doing the job that they were called to do and they were meant to do. Um, but, this is one of the big buts that um, Dan Reynolds was talking about last week, um, they had promises uh, in the scriptures, they had a promise that a king from David's family would one day arise and somehow uh, linked with that but they didn't know at this time that it was one and the same person but they believed that God himself would come in person and take away the shame of the nation and restore them to their true identity and purpose, to be that blessing, to be that image of God, that, uh, that light to the Gentiles. And there was a sense, and you read books like Isaiah, towards the end of Isaiah, there's a whole sense of a new creation. They expected that when the, when the Messiah came, when this promised king came, not only would he restore Israel, but he would affect the whole world and there would be a new creation and a new age of the spirit would come in when all of God's enemies would be vanquished and you know there would be huge blessing that would affect all the nations. Um, but for that to happen they needed a new return from exile. They had to kind of return from this ongoing exile so they needed a new exodus. You know the exodus is when they came out of slavery in Egypt and if you think back to um, the Mount of Transfiguration when Jesus is on the 
the mountain and he becomes glorified and Moses and Elijah appear representing the law and the prophets and it's speaking of the whole you know the whole testimony of God culminating in this event and they're talking and it says they're talking about in some translations it says that they, they spoke about his departure that he was about to bring to fulfillment in Jerusalem and I used to read that and think that must mean his departure as in leaving this world but actually the word is exodus and they're talking about the new exodus that Jesus is about to bring to fulfillment in other words the redeeming back from slavery mm. of his people and the world so they're talking about this exodus and they were aware that they needed a new exodus in order for this to happen <coughs> but to have this exodus and to have this return from exile the only way it could happen was if there was a divine act of forgiveness of sins for the nation because the sin hadn't been dealt with therefore they were still in exile and none of this could happen and that whole story that narrative was deeply embedded in their whole psychology as a nation um, so imagine you know 400 years of silence and then the silence is broken by an angel called Gabriel and he announces that the promised Davidic king, this Messiah, is coming. And you've got all this going on in people's minds. And he tells Joseph in a dream, you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Now we read that and we think, oh good, forgiveness of sins, brilliant. But can you see the significance for the, for the nation, how it would have resonated with the backdrop, with all that was going on in a really powerful way. So we need to detach it from Christmas sometimes and think about the history mm. and how this was a culmination of thousands of years of history. So having laid all that out, I'm going to have a quick break and have a coffee and we can have a, a scone or two. And what I want us to think about during the, the break is if we think about this wider meaning of the forgiveness of sins firstly what expectations might have arisen in Joseph <clears throat> as a result of Gabriel's words to him and I'm thinking about you know valid expectations I mean we often think oh yeah but they they thought there would be a military ruler or a political ruler or whatever but let, let's not worry too much about that let's think about the valid expectations that he may have then had and then secondly could that allow us to better understand the gospel um, and how that might affect our presentation of the gospel to our not yet Christian friends okay so good discussion so I've called part two as you can see now that I've given you the notes a gospel of global restoration so uh, you know, you can't get much bigger than that. This whole thing is called the gospel. It's bigger than you think. And I've started this second bit with, uh, let me just turn these heaters off because it's going to be making a noise on the recording. There we go. I've started this off with a quote from N.T. Wright, uh, Tom Wright, who's one of my favourite writers. Um, and he says this, The forgiveness of sins was a huge, life-changing, world-changing reality long promised and long awaited. It was the fulfilment of Israel's hopes for restoration coupled with the sense that when Israel was restored 
this would somehow generate a new day for the whole human race. It's startling to reflect on just how diminished the average modern Western Christian vision of hope, of inheritance, or indeed of forgiveness itself has become. Um, so there's much more. When you, when you flip over from Old Testament to New Testament, there's much more continuity than we think. It's not like God pushed reset and said, right, we've tried that one, that didn't work, let's try something different in Jesus. It was actually this announcement that he will save his people from their sins. And it's interesting, it says, it doesn't say he will save the world, although it is included in that, but it says he will save his people. And that's because the restoration of Israel meant that they could resume their true identity, their true mandate, and actually bring the salvation. Now, of course, we know that Israel as a natural entity, as a natural nation, isn't quite what's in view here, but what's in view here is a, a reconstituted re Israel based around Jesus, um, which now consists of both Jew and Gentile. But that reconstituted Israel inherits the, the identity and the mandate of the Israel that we uh, read about in the Old Testament. So we tend to think about, with gospel, we think about personal salvation, we think about the forgiveness of our individual sins, and we think about the promise of eternal life for us as individuals, all of which is true, all of which is a wonderful thing, it's amazing. But to them, this meant return from exile at last, it meant a new exodus from slavery, it meant the reforming of their nation under God. And so they could then rule on God's behalf, as has always been promised from Adam onwards, um, bringing blessing to the world like Abraham was promised. And so they were to be kings and priests, you know, to rule on God's behalf and to worship, to intercede between creation and God. Um, and that was what God always wanted. So that to them, to Joseph, you know, on reflecting on this, he would think, wow, God's new kingdom age is coming. It's not just mm. the son of David's coming, who, you know, the kingdom line is going to um, continue. It's not, oh, good, history's got a little bit back on track and then we'll have another load of kings to follow. It was actually this new age of the spirit is about to dawn. This new creation that's been promised in in scripture is about to break into the world. Um, you know, a righteous king would rule over them, overcome their enemies. No doubt he had expectations that the Romans would be booted out and so on, but it was deeper and bigger and more gradual than that, but more far-reaching. But they were right that God was going to, through all this, maybe over a long period of time, but they were, evil would be destroyed and driven out. God's faithfulness would be spread to the end of the earth and the, the end result would be this new creation. So that was good news. That was really good news. And it's more than just an individual personal cleansing from guilt, but it's a message of restoration for the whole world. And even if people don't feel their lives are you know, particularly bad, as, as you were saying, Maria, um, they're aware that the world's in a mess. Mm. You only have to read a newspaper or listen to a news report <coughs> and you see the injustice, you see the pain and the suffering, you see the, mm. the evil that's in the world. Mm. Um, 
But the renewal of Israel, albeit in a totally different and unexpected <coughs> way, would touch every nation and release them from their own slavery to sin to restore the world, um, bringing them, bringing the Gentiles into the same inheritance that Israel had. So God's destiny for Israel wasn't pushed aside in favour of a better plan. Um, you know, the story actually reached its climax in Jesus and he got the whole thing back on track. Um, I'm going to cover this in more detail next month when we look at the atonement and what the cross did, but he, he became all that Israel was meant to be but failed to be and then relaunched the whole Israel project, but around himself. You know, he gathered 12 patriarchs, you know, the 12 apostles. He sort of said, right, I'm starting Israel again in a new way, in the new age of the spirit. Um, you are the beginnings of the new creation and uh, Israel is being relaunched. And this time eventually it then included you know, people that weren't naturally members of the, the Jewish race, you know, incorporated Gentiles into it, which was always what God's vision was. And the plan was to bless the nations and turn them back to God. And so the whole thing got back on track. So the amazing news of the gospel, and this is, I haven't put it in quotes, but it's more or less a direct quote from N.T. Wright, this actually, is that through Jesus, in and through Jesus, God has fully and finally become king of the whole of creation and so everything is now being brought under his loving rule uh, a freedom you know it's when you think about kingdom rule it's not dominance it's freedom actually and it's about God's will being done on earth as it is in heaven so the kingdom the gospel of the kingdom is about um, God's will being done and, and God's will is that people are saved, people are healed, people are restored. And then we can demonstrate the kingdom through the things that we do, the, 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 the miracles that we see. Um, you know, kind acts as well, but you know, one of the kindest acts is to actually lay hands on someone and see them healed. And then that opens the door for this kingdom message because it's a demonstration in, in a little microcosm. This is what God wants to do to the world. And he wants to do it to you mm. and he wants to do it through you and he wants to do it to everyone and this is who he is this is what the king is like um, and it's a sign that this separation that had occurred between heaven and earth this the, the relationship between heaven and earth had been ruptured right back in in the fall and in, in the garden of eden but when jesus comes and restores and heals somebody and when the gospel comes into someone's life that connection is remade and you know the the rupture is is fixed um, the, so basically you can then point to the world and say look the world messed up but God is God has done something about it there is a king there is a there is Jesus and he's gonna fix everything he's gonna um, rectify every injustice um, the creation is going to be completely restored, there's going to be a new uh, whole way of being, the whole cosmos reflecting um, the true nature of God and its true purpose. And we're part of that, you know, as, human, as humanity, we're part of that pr uh, program of restoration. 
So we start to realize that our personal forgiveness and reconciliation with God are just the entry point so that we can unite with God in this great purpose. Now, it's not all about doing with God, of course. The union with God is the, is the main deal. But then having done that, we want to spread that to everywhere and everyone else. So the, re- the goal is restoration of all things, as it talks about in Acts 3, verse 21. But our personal salvation makes us part of that ongoing global revolution of grace and love. So when we come to present the gospel, it's not just a case of, well, I've had this experience, perhaps you might like it too. but it's an announcement that a whole new state of affairs has come into existence. A new creation has broken into the world. A new kingdom has arrived. So it's not just Jesus died for you personally so that you can be forgiven and go to heaven when you die, but rather that through Jesus, God has launched a whole new thing in this world that's gonna put an end to all the suffering and the injustice that we see and can restore your life as well, and can restore your relationships, and and restore your body. So I've written down a few paragraphs here that there's just one way of telling this story, and and there's so many ways, so I don't use this verbatim because it's probably lacking in many areas, and it depends on who you're talking to as well. But one way you could tell the story is by saying, um, there is a true and good king in charge of everything called Jesus. Through Jesus, God is putting right all that is wrong with this world. He's working to get rid of all injustice and pain by transforming more and more people so that they can become all they were created to be and live lives that spread his goodness and love everywhere. And this includes you. By turning to God, you can experience forgiveness and true peace and real friendship with God, becoming part of God's amazing plan to restore the world to how it should be. This new life can start right now and will go on forever because God will eventually give us completely new and healthy bodies to live on a new perfect earth. Heaven and earth will be joined together forever and justice, peace, love, wholeness and life will totally replace the injustice, the strife, the hatred and the death that we see around us today. And that process has already started. You can be part of it from today and become all you were meant to be. Did you know you were meant to be God's selfie, his image, showing what he's like through your words, actions, and even healing power? This is what you were born for, union with the loving God. And it's a bit of a far cry from, you're going to go to hell because you're a sinner, but there's a way out. (laughs) Um, You know. so, just um, you know, you, once we get this in our heads, the, the enormity of what God has done, yeah. and what this news really means for creation, for the world, then we can start to imagine different ways of explaining this yes. to people. That's more than just you, Joe Bloggs, have got a problem, and uh, you know, if you don't do something about it, you're going to be in big trouble. But hurrah, Jesus has made a way for you now. None of that is actually wrong as such. Um, There may be all sorts of connotations that we'd have to unpick, but but it's a a bit different when we start to think the the global nature of it all and the fact that there's a purpose for people and that God is healing the hurt in the world 
and that includes you and he wants to heal you and mm. and set you up so that you can be part of the solution to everything you see around you um, it's a bit more envisioning so um, I'll leave you know I'll leave you to kind of come up with your own ways of of explaining it and it would be different depending on who you're talking to and what their background is and so on but I'm going to just a few final thoughts before we close um, in Romans chapter 1 it talks about talks about sin but it makes clear actually that the primary problem wasn't sin it was idolatry you know they abandoned the worship of the one true God and went after things that were not God's therefore God gave them over to do what shouldn't be done so the sin resulted from their idolatry it was a consequence not a cause so it was the failure to worship the true God so we worshipped idols and some of these idols are, are obvious you know they're kind of in modern day money sex power you know um, all of these things are idols but of course as well they you know particularly in not not just in antiquity sometime in some places in the world today but also in ancient times you know they were named so-called gods and they worshipped them and when you worship something you give it authority mm. you know what, what you worship you give your authority to and so as humanity we gave away our authority and the power that we should have been exercising um, so the idols or more accurately the spiritual powers behind them were only too happy to take that authority and take over and start wrecking the world plunging the world into chaos and we lost our true vocation our place in the world was to represent the image of God and be his delegated rule to the world but through idolatry we gave that away um, and then the idols of course use the power of sin to enslave humanity now sin isn't just a, a moral failure or doing bad things sin is actually failing to be who we really are you know it says um, sin is falling short of the glory of God doesn't it and the glory of God is what we're meant to be um, N.T. Wright uses this illustration. Um, imagine that you were given a violin as a present from a master violin maker. You know, and the violin maker, who obviously is God in the in the picture, but you get given this immensely precious and wonderful instrument. It's absolutely perfectly made. You know, it looks, it's artistic, it's made of all the best materials, it's crafted to you so that you can hold it it's the right size and shape so that you only you can play it to its full potential and it sounds amazing it's the best violin ever and God is not only other the violin maker has given you this violin and there's a part for you to play that only you can play and it's a perfectly written score and a perfectly written symphony with other people and you take the violin and you think well I'm not going to do that I know I'm going to use it as a tennis racket and so you start using this thing as a tennis racket and that's what God sees when he sees sin he sees the same thing it's not just you've broken some moral code 
but you haven't you've been given this thing and you haven't used it you haven't the glory that that was meant to come from you and and the gifts you've been given and who you really are you're just using it as a tennis racket you know you've kind of uh somebody else i think it was baxter kruger i think he said it's like um you've been written somebody's written a play for you and a role a starring role has been given to you and it's an amazing story and an amazing script and it's just the perfect thing and we've just torn up the script and sort of smirked our way through a self-serving script of our own making yeah. um, the good thing is the, the mercy and the blessing the grace of God is that he wants to bring us back yeah. to the script that he has for us and restore this violin so that we can play it but that's what sin is and that's what the opposite is you know that's what me that's what it means when um we're forgiven and restored but sin isn't just um a case of doing bad things but it's a failure to be who we really are <coughs> and so that's what happens when we worship idols when we worship anything that isn't god we give away our authority and we just descend into sin but the wonderful news of course of the gospel is that jesus won back our authority and restored it to us so forgiveness breaks the power of the idols over us so it's not just avoiding hell but it's about we can now take up our true identity we can take up our true purpose so just as forgiveness of sins on a national level for israel restored their mandate and restored their their you know redeemed their history and restored them to their true nature and purpose it works on an individual level as well so that our history is redeemed and so that our mandate and our purpose is restored so the violin the script you know it's all restored to us so that we can worship god we can image him in creation and rule on his behalf so we become that royal priesthood through whom God is restoring the whole creation to its original glorious destiny. So a final quote, I've mentioned N.T. Wright a lot today, haven't I? But he basically says this, the purpose of forgiving sin is to enable people to become fully functioning, fully image-bearing human beings within God's world, already now, completely in the age to come. And uh, so just in, in summing up, um, I'll just read out this last paragraph to you and you know it says the gospel of the kingdom is so much more than personal forgiveness and salvation more than going to heaven it's a revolutionary global earth-shattering in fact earth-restoring piece of news that God has decisively stepped in come in person in Jesus and through Jesus' death and resurrection launched an unstoppable, irresistible program of total restoration and a whole new creation to be completed when Jesus comes once more, but which we can all be an active part of, even in our everyday lives. As God empowers us by his Spirit and lives within us, no longer any barrier between us and God, true union in heart and mind. <coughs> So hopefully that's expanded our view of the of the gospel, given you a lot to think about, no doubt. In the next session, we're going to look at how the cross made all that possible. We're going to be even more mind-bending. So.
Praise God.